All right, welcome into this edition, Tuesday, July 11th, Hoist the Colors podcast, ECU basketball edition of the show. It is another week, so we're talking pirate hoops once again. We got a very exciting show, Casey Romaley, as always, alongside Stephen Igo here, host of the podcast. We're live on YouTube, live on Facebook, live on Twitter. If you got a comment or question, drop it in the comment section. We'll get to it throughout the show. Otherwise, we got the format set, and we're continuing with our theme of we're doing two-player breakdowns, two-player previews, I should say, for the coming season as we get through this summer quiet period for ECU sports. We're taking the dive into ECU basketball, what to expect, heading into Mike Schwartz's second year. We've already profiled four players, and we've already profiled four AAC opponents. So today we're going to continue with that preview. We're going to look at Bobby Pettiford. He'll be kind of the main talking point of today's show, the Kansas transfer, a North Carolina native coming back home. We'll talk about what to expect from Bobby Pettiford, and we'll also talk about freshman big man Sear Malonga. And really, both these guys are two unknowns. We'll try to figure out what to expect from them this season. Kaysen, as always, has done his research, and we're going to continue with our previews of Tulane and SMU in the American, two teams that should be pretty good this year. So, Kaysen, another week. We're just 53 days away from football season, a lot longer away from basketball season. But again, you know, it, it does feel like July is moving at a pretty good pace. Like, I know we're only, only on July 11th, but it's not as slow moving as I feel like maybe some may think it feels like. Yeah, I, I for sure agree. And uh, when I'm doing these uh, team previews and I'm looking on these websites and teams have their rosters up, I'm like, whew, time time sure is flying by because all these teams have their rosters up. So that's how I know we're getting close. And I love, I love college football. I love NFL, but college basketball always has a special place in my heart. And we've gotten a lot of good feedback from our <laughs> basketball podcast. And really nobody else is talking ECU basketball this time of year. Of course, we're talking ECU football as well. With Macy O'Donnell every week, we'll continue our positional previews later this week with football. But you know, I just feel like there's a, a lot of interest in this ECU basketball season. And part of the reason why, Kaysen, is some of the additions this offseason, most notably a couple of North Carolina guys, Bobby Pettiford Jr. and Cam Hayes. Today we're looking at Bobby Pettiford. We'll get into Cam Hayes later, whether or not he'll be eligible in a later show, I should say, not today. But still waiting on that. But we do know Bobby Pettiford Jr. will be eligible. He comes to East Carolina from Kansas, where he played for two years. He played basically in every single game off the bench last year in a reserve role. Uh, did similar things his freshman year while dealing with an injury. So hasn't played a ton. Came out of high school in, in South Granville as a four-star recruit. ECU really wanted him then. Ironically, it was Joe Dooley who was trying to recruit him. Then he joined the Kansas staff. He got to coach him at Kansas for a year. And so Bobby Pettiford's coming home to North Carolina. And a lot of people were excited about this one, Casey. I know, you know, me and you are as well. I think this is a huge addition. This is a huge uh, building block for Schwartz's program. And Bobby has proven that he is a solid floor general. And now, in my opinion, I still think he needs to prove that he can score the ball at a high clip and a consistent level. But then again, when you look at his time at Kansas, yes, he came off the bench in every game. He played valuable minutes. He wasn't playing garbage minutes. And when he was out there. He was told by self and that staff just to facilitate the ball, learn to move without the ball, which he does great as a point guard, which is very important, needing to move without the ball. But also when he was on the floor at Kansas his first two years, I mean, he wasn't asked to score because look at the talent around him. I mean, you can look at his, last year, for example, you got you got McCullers, who is a all who's all Big 12 player. You got Grady Dick, who was one of the best players in the country last year. And then you got 
Jalen Wilson, who's the best player on the team. And I mean, I mean, he's not going to have that talent here at ECU, sadly. So he's going to be asked to step up and score more. But I think that the building blocks are definitely there for him to be a great scorer. Yeah, he's just never been asked to, like you said, to shoot a lot. I mean, his, his season high in three-point attempts last year was two in a game. So, I mean, he only shot three. Uh, he only shot 13 three-point attempts in two years, Case, in, in uh, at Kansas. Uh, pulled up his high school numbers. His senior year of high school alone, where he was obviously the man for South Granville, he uh, attempted 105 three-pointers and made 41 for a, a field goal rate percentage of 39% from deep. So uh, if those stats are accurate, and we have no reason to believe they aren't, um, that's a pretty good three-point shooting percentage. And I don't think he has to shoot at 39% from three to be effective as ECU's point guard. I think anything in the 30s would be a success. Obviously, if you get to the mid-30s or higher, that's big. But you know, his primary job will be handling the basketball. and He's going to be the, the starting point guard. I don't think there's any question about it, really. I mean, you have Jaden Walker coming back after running the point the second half of last year, and he did a, a good job in that role, in, in a role that really I don't think anybody expected him to be in full time. They knew he was capable of, but he you know played a lot off the ball at the beginning of the year. But I, I don't think there's any question Bobby Pettiford is going to be the starting point guard to this team you got Caleb Account, who we've chronicled previously. Cam Hayes can run the point. We don't know if he's going to be eligible or not. Really, outside of that, and Jaden Walker, that those are the only point guards on the roster, so I feel like Bobby has to to be the guy, and he's got to stay healthy. he got to have a good year. Yeah, and when yeah, and also with coming with that, it also talks about his scoring is as your, as your starting point guard in college basketball, you need him to score at least 10 to, 10 to 12 points a game because – also, he's Bobby's going to be eating up a whole lot of minutes. He's going to be playing 30, 35 minutes a game, and you're going to need production out of him. I mean, yes, in my opinion, he is going to have those assist numbers up. He's going to facilitate the ball. He's going to move the offense, and he's also a he's also an above-average defender. He's a good defender. But I think that if you're going to be on the floor eating up 30, 35 minutes, you need to have production on the floor. And also with that, just like you talked about, you don't know you don't know what kind of point guard you have in Caleb. You don't know what kind of point guard you have in Caleb account yet. And also, you don't know if Jaden is going to play those minutes again as a point guard or if he's going to go back to wing. So those minutes by Bobby are going to be huge for this team this year. Yeah, and I think it is at least a luxury to have Jaden Walker in that potential role. Hey, if Bobby gets nicked up or if he's not playing his, his best on a certain night, you can always shift Jaden over, over. I think that versatility helps for sure. Uh, having LeCount as a second-year guy now, not a freshman, should help. And obviously, if Hayes is eligible, he can you know step up and run the point too. Even though he may be a little more comfortable and successful off the ball, but you know I want to get into what what Bobby really brings to East Carolina. He's not the biggest guy in the world again, six foot, uh, close to two hundred pounds, but he's built well. He's been in a college, he's been in an elite college weight training program for two years now. And and look, the guy played on a national championship team his freshman year. And then he played on basically one of the top teams in America every single game off the bench as a sophomore. So, yeah, his numbers might not be good, but he's been having the experience of playing with essentially the best team in college basketball for two years. When I talked to him, Kaysen, after he committed, he kind of admitted there were times where, you know, maybe he didn't have as much fun as he thought he would have playing at the collegiate level just because maybe he wasn't asked to score or was able to you know, do the things that he wanted to do, kind of envisioning coming out of high school. And I think the big part of this is getting his confidence back because I, I do think he's capable of scoring more. 
I think he's going to, at the very least, provide excellent ball handling. I think he's going to provide solid defense on the point, on the perimeter. He's going to get some steals. So he's going to be a facilitator. He's going to be solid defensively, especially against other smaller guards. Uh, you know, for me, the, the biggest key is scoring. How much is he going to score? You look at his high school numbers, Kaysen, and when he was asked to shoot a lot, again, the, the three-point percentages weren't great. Freshman through junior year, he shot 28% as a freshman, 29% from three as a sophomore, 30% from three as a junior but was very successful from the free throw line, 74% all four years on a whole lot of attempts and, uh, you know, very high success rate when he gets inside the arc. And then his senior year shot 39% from three-point range. So I think he's going to be able to drive. A lot of his highlights from Kansas were him driving, finishing at the rim. If he gets to the free throw line more, I think maybe that's where we see him make a jump scoring-wise. And, you know, I don't think he was asked to, hey, take the ball to the rack here and try to get fouled a lot at Kansas. So I think that, along with the three-point shooting, could really see his numbers step up. Just your thoughts on what he brings kind of knowingly, and then, you know, the scoring, do we see a tick up? I definitely think there will be a tick up because he's going to have a, cause he's gonna have the opportunity. And just as I touched on before, it's just the players he was around and the players he played behind. I mean, if you look at the list of guards he's played behind his last two years at Kansas, I mean, wow, those are some of the best guards in the entire country. And Harris, you could argue, was a top three point guard last year in the country. And, I mean, you're not going to – I mean, honestly, don't care who you are, you're not going to take minutes from Harris like, like that, and that's just how it is. But I, and, but also something that I don't think people talk about is how, yes, he didn't play that much in games to score, but he was still banging bodies in practice every single day and learning from Harris, learning from Bill Self, learning from guards like Remy Martin, learning learning from – what was this game, Abaji, his, the, his freshman year when they won the championship? Oshai Abaji, him, learning from him, learning from all those great guards that were there when he was there. I think that's a huge part in his development as a player. And yes, sometimes it did not it did not translate to a game, but also sometimes you shine in better opportunities and you shine on other on other sides. And I think he has a perfect opportunity here to showcase what he was doing at Kansas that always didn't get to be shown because he was overlooked by the immense talent that, that they have. So, I mean, I think he definitely has the opportunity 100%, but he does need to prove that he can score at a high level, and he will have the opportunity here. I think he does have a chip on his shoulder going into the season. I think he'll be more comfortable back in his home state. And, it, you know, his shooting numbers last year, although weren't, uh, you know, weren't a lot of attempts, he, he was pretty successful, 53% from the field, 30% from three on 10 attempts, 75% from the free throw line. So it's not like he's out there breaking a bunch of shots. He's just got to take more shots. And you saw it when he hit that game-winning shot against uh, Wisconsin in the Battle for Atlantis tournament. He turned around the next game, had a season-high eight assists against North Dakota State. So to me, like getting his confidence back, he probably felt some confidence from that uh, performance, that win over Wisconsin with the late bucket. I think if he gets off to a good start this season, he can have a very, very strong year for ECU. So um, look, my expectations for Bobby Pettiford are pretty high. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I think I, I don't think he's going to go out and score 20 a game or anything like that. But I, I think for ECU to have a good season, Bobby Pettiford has to have a really good season, and I think he will have a good season. You know, talking to people around the program, he's already kind of uh, established himself as a guy who you know the work ethic is there, shows up, competes hard every day. Uh, kind of uh, him and Cam Hayes have come in as older guys kind of taking that leadership role as well as in the guard room. So I feel like this is a uh, 
it's, I think it's going to be a breakout season for Bobby. It's just a matter of how high he goes. And the other key, too, is staying healthy. I, you know, talking to people around his situation, he was never healthy as a freshman and at times as a sophomore kind of slowed as well. So he's got to have a healthy season, and uh, we'll see the best from uh, Bobby Pettiford. But looking forward to seeing the North Carolina kid back in uh, in North Carolina and looking forward to seeing what he can bring to the purple and gold because I think it's going to be a, uh, a very good year for Bobby Pettiford Jr. All right, let's let's predict his stat line. The two stat lines we got to predict today are are very difficult, Kaysen, especially uh, Sierra Malonga, who the freshman we're going to profile here in a minute. Uh, you never know what to expect with freshmen, and you never know what to expect quite with transfers who have the talent but haven't necessarily had their shining moment yet. So there's a wide range of outcomes here. Uh, I'm interested to to see where we where we land on this. I'll go first. So for me, I'm going 10 points a game for Bobby Pettiford Jr. I'm going four assists per game, and I'm going three rebounds per game for uh, ECU's starting point guard. Your thoughts on his projected stat line? I'm gonna go a little bit lower, a little bit higher. I'm gonna go right at. I'm gonna go right at. Eight point eight points a game, eight point five nine around the eight nine range points per game. I'm gonna go around. I'm gonna go around six assists a game, and I'm gonna go around three rebounds a game. Because I definitely think that a huge part of this team is gonna be the pick and roll with Ezra and Brandon Johnson, the pick and pop with Brandon Johnson. Hopefully, pick and pop with Ezra for real. But um, hopefully, those numbers will be up because of that one hundred percent. And I'm I'm actually looking forward to that mostly about this season is there is Bobby's dynamic with both of those two bigs. Cause I think those, those three right there are a pretty good trio in the American right now. I mean, you look at last year and, and when Javon small was healthy, so much of this offense was based off the, the pick and pop, the pick and roll at the top of the, the, the key. And I think that's going to be a major part of this offense again, and having a guy with Bobby's speed, you know, we didn't get into the X's and O's part of it as much, but I think having a guy who can handle it with Pettiford, make the, decisions with the ball with like Pettiford can on the fly, kick it out to Johnson on the three, maybe hit Ezra going down into the paint. Maybe Ezra steps out, like you said, this year some more. Um, yeah, I can definitely see his assist numbers being higher than four. It's just, you know, how much is he able to stay healthy and how much is he scoring? Because Javon would also benefit from that as well, where if they would go under the screen – maybe not respect Javon's three-pointer as much. That's when Javon would step up in his and threes. So a uh, lot of dynamics at play here, but I do think Bobby will be able to really benefit from the style of offense Mike Schwartz wants to run uh, with this uh, this Pirate team. All right, we got a comment from the way he drew it up. He just says, already looking forward to next year's baseball season. Ha-ha, <laughs> what up, Igo? He, uh, he is a, a, a constant baseball commenter. So I'm excited about next year's baseball season, Drew, but – what about this year's basketball season, Drew? Are you going to be in Menji's Coliseum when the Pirates open up against some MEAC school on November, uh, early November? I don't know. You better be there. Otherwise, you're not a true Pirate, Drew. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, but, yeah, the, the schedule's starting to shape up a little bit. We can get into that discussion as well if you guys want to. But, again, drop us a comment, question if you got anything. Otherwise, let's move on to Seer Malonga, three-star recruit out of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, he attended Evan, Evangel Christian Academy in Kentucky. He was the number 
Uh, three player in the state of Kentucky. He averaged a double-double as a sophomore with 11.5 points, 11.8 rebounds per game. And then as a junior, had 10.8 points, 7.9 rebounds per game. 6'11", 235 from Congo, originally came over to the States. So the deal on Sierra Malonga, who was a three-star recruit again by 24-7 Sports, had some pretty big early offers. Um I think ECU ended up landing him over Seton Hall. Cincinnati was in there as well. Essentially, this guy is a this is a big man who three, four years ago would have 100% probably signed with a a major profile school. It's just he's he's raw right now. He's athletic and it's so easy to go to the transfer portal and get a big man who's a little bit more established. So, Sierra Malonga is a guy who has an unbelievable ceiling. Super athletic, good-looking body for a freshman big. You know, sometimes they can kind of come in a little string beanish. Uh, yeah, he can put on more weight, but he's got some muscle to him. I think he'll be able to help early from a physical perspective. This summer is big for him and Callum Richard, the fellow freshman big man, but known more as a shot blocker, dunker, defensive-type player at this stage, Kaysen. So, uh, again, good size, 6'11", 235. What are your – expectations if any for seer based on uh kind of his recruitment his size his his profile i think i think it's a i think it's a solid addition to this team i think that if he can establish himself as a good defender and a uh good rim runner will be huge and also just like just like you touched on on his recruitment kind of going down but i mean i think these I think freshmen like Sierra are going to be harder are going to be kind of not so much sought after anymore because I mean why would you want why would you want a freshman who is unproven and raw when you can go in the portal and get a guy who's seasoned who's older and developed I mean I mean and it sucks but I mean that's just the name of the game now and I definitely think that sports has the ability to develop him and I mean Sierra also has the opportunity to learn behind Brandon Johnson and Ezra to develop his game so I mean, I'm also curious to see how many minutes he is he is going to play, considering we have, considering Brandon and Ezra are going to take a lot of minutes. So, I'm curious to see how much he plays for real. So the, the way this thing went is, uh, Sear was actually the earliest signee of this class because Mike Schwartz knows he needs a legitimate big man to really run his defense effectively. I think in time, Sear can be, become that. I agree. Early on how many minutes is he going to play? Because if he's on the floor, is he taking away minutes from Ezra? Is he taking away minutes from Brandon Johnson? Those are arguably your two best players. Or do you want to play a lineup where it's Sear uh, or Callum Richard at the five and, you know, Brandon and Ezra at the three and four? We saw some of that in the conference tournament last year with very good results defensively. They did it a lot against USF and Houston. They rebounded like crazy. They defended like crazy. That gave them a, a victory over USF in pretty comfortable fashion, along with some good three-point shooting. And also, uh, th they were able to con con contend with Houston for the majority of that game. So, you know, th the addition of Sear and the addition of Callum Richard, which we'll get into at a later later date as well, it gives you options, Kaysen. It's just, I don't know, and maybe it's dictated by the opponent, and here's my thing with basketball, like, is do you let the opponent dictate what your personnel is or do you roll with your best personnel every game regardless? And that's that's the question Mike Schwartz has to ask. That's what they're, you know, evaluating at practice right now. Uh, but I think at least there's options, and Sear is kind of that big five you can go with if you don't want to go with Ezra or Brandon in that role. I agree, and that is a 
that is a very tough point that you that you actually hit on because let's say let's for example let's just say we're let's just say we're playing Kansas this season and we have to match up with a player like Hunter Hunter Dickinson. You're not going to want Brandon Johnson guarding him for more than 25 minutes a game. So you're so you're going to put your biggest guy on there, whether whether he's a freshman or fifth year graduate. But I mean, but I mean, and then it and then it goes to your point is like, how do you want your opponent to dictate your style in your game? And and I'm very curious to see how that works, how that works out this year. If if we do match up with any with any seven footers or above is if do we do we roll with Ezra and Brandon Johnson because they because they they don't have outstanding size for for bigs but both of them can definitely spread the floor and spread you out and I don't think Sear can do that as of right now so then it goes to show that I think there will be some games where I definitely think he will come in or Callum and will be matched up with with bigger bigs to give Brandon Johnson Ezra a rest yeah, there's uh, you know, there were a lot of jokes made about Luigi kind of just because he was so energetic and, and you know awkward at times on the court. But by the end of last year, Casey, he was playing some big minutes, man. I mean, he's not, he was never scoring a lot, but he was rebounding the ball, he was defending, he was changing shots, wasn't blocking a whole lot of shots. But I, I thought by the end of the year, one of their best lineups was with Luigi on the floor. So I think you'll miss him more than you realize. But at the same time, a guy like Sear and a guy like Callum Richard have much more upside long term. Then Luigi, and so I feel like maybe you take a short-term step back there at the true five position, and but by, maybe by the end of the year you're getting really good positive minutes from those guys, and then going into sophomore junior years when they really take off. It's just look, ECU wanted to add a proven big from the portal. They tried, uh, you know, they went after the, the kid from USF. I can't remember his name uh, who ended up at Georgia, uh, who, who killed ECU last year. But those guys were getting paid a lot of NIL money. Uh, NIL money ECU does not have right now. So, you know, you get the quality where you can get it. And the quality in this class, uh, according to to what ECU saw, what was via Callum Richard and then obviously with Sierra Malonga with the early signing. So, again, a, a, a tough one to profile just because we don't know really what to expect other than he's, he's young, energetic, big, can run the floor, can block shots, can dunk the basketball. I don't think he's going to have much of a face-up game, at least to start off with. We'll see how much offensive game he has, you know, whether it be with his back to the basket or anything. But I think he's going to be more of a rebound, put-back type big defensive guy early in his career, whereas Callum will have some more offensive uh, flair to his game. So let's try and predict uh, Sierra Malonga's stat line here. You know, again, it's, it's tough to know without how many minutes he's going to play. Um, I kind of lean towards you, Casey. Like, I think he'll play kind of a – a part-time role this season, barring something unforeseen. I'm going to go, uh, you know, like 1.5 points per game, uh, three rebounds per game, and I'll, I'll just go with uh, half a block per game. I'm not even going to get into the assist numbers. I don't think he's going to be an assist guy. So any thoughts there, you know, around maybe 10 minutes per game as a freshman, something like that? Yeah, I think in around eight, 10 minutes a game, I'm going to have him at two points. I think he'll – I think that he'll get uh, a dunk a game or one or two free throw attempts a game, and then maybe a maybe one maybe one block. So I'll say one block, and then maybe two to three two to three rebounds. But I mean, these numbers are very diluted because we don't know how many minutes he's yeah. going to play this year. 
you know, I mean, you don't want to run this scenario, but let's say, you know, somebody gets hurt in that front court, all of a sudden you change kind of your philosophy. Maybe instead of Brandon and Ezra, you just have one of those guys and, you know, a stretch of three or four games, somebody rolls an ankle or something. And in that case, maybe you go with Sear and Callum more often than, you know, say a three, four, five of, you know, Jaden Walker, Brandon Johnson, Ezra. So just a lot at play here. But uh, again, ECU has options. And, uh, you know, that is an exciting thing because last year it was basically Luigi and that was it. This year you got two really seven foot guys or 6'11, 6'10 guys, and both of them with good weight as well as young guys. All right. So there's your look at Sear Malanga and Bobby Pettiford Jr. That will conclude our ECU player previews for this week we will move on to uh to two more next week now let's get into our american athletic conference preview again we've already looked at memphis we've looked at rice we've looked at fau and we've looked at tulsa there we go trying to remember all the teams in this league is a challenge in itself uh case and so uh those are the four we've looked at to this point today we've got Tulane and smu Ron Hunter back once again with the Tulane Green Wave. He's done a uh, tremendous job with uh, with Tulane. I think everybody that watches and follows college basketball loves Ron Hunter. He's the most animated guy on the sideline, and uh, it seems like whenever Tulane comes to ECU, the Pirates always shoot lights out for the most part, and he gets a little frustrated. So if you've never seen Tulane at East Carolina, I can't recommend that enough. Just go stand by the Tulane bench. Uh, so really good year last year for Tulane, 20 and 11, 12 and six in the American. They, uh, they do, you know, the thing with Tulane and, and we can get into this discussion too, is they have killed themselves with non-conference the last few years. Like they've been an NCAA tournament caliber team in the league once league play begins, but they've been bad non-conference wise case. And why is that? And do you feel like that could change this year? And give us your your early thoughts on what to expect from Tulane. I mean, well, well, first of all, let's get things started with they had arguably the worst non-conference schedule of all time last year. I mean, it was just horrible. I mean, if you look, if you look, if you look at the teams in it, they started off they start off their non-conference versus UMBC, uh, McNeese, Charleston Southern, Nevada, and Rhode Island. And that's that's probably the only good teams. They played Fordham, who was a good team. But, I mean, they played not a great non-conference schedule. And also, in the games that they did play, they, they had some bad losses, too. I mean, they lost they lost to George Mason at home by six, which is not which is not, not too good. And then also, they had the worst loss in college basketball last year. They lost, to, they lost at home to Tulsa by 16. How do you lose to Tulsa? I mean, it's just ridiculous, and I mean that – and I think that if they want to be a tournament team, they have to put together a good non-conference schedule, and I'm curious to see what the non-conference schedule is this year because looking at it last year, I was like, Ron, what are we doing? I mean, I know you – like, Ron, you want to be a tournament team. Let's put together a good schedule. And speaking of Ron, I think he is, again, he's a he's a great coach and even better person. He's so fun, and he's, he is electric on the sidelines. And I mean, if you look at his years in the American, his first year he was twelve and eighteen. Next year, ten and thirteen, and next year, fourteen and fifteen. And this year, twenty eleven. And every year there, every year there has been improvement. And I think that if you look at his past programs, the progression is the same. And they were third in the American last year. And I think that 
And I think that this year, why can't they do the same? And the first two teams in the American were Houston, who was one of the best teams in the country, and Memphis, who was a great team. And then Tulane was third, and they weren't even and they weren't even discussed as a tournament team because of how bad their losses were. And also the non-conference is horrible. So I mean, and I think with two major contenders gone in Houston and Cincinnati, they have a the to to me the to me the door is open right now for the American basketball conference. You look you uh you you wrote down by the way great research again by Kaysen. He sent me over his notes on these uh, opponent previews. You wrote down the the progress they've made. So twelve and eighteen was year one, ten and thirteen year two, fourteen and fifteen year three, and including a ten and eight mark in the American, and then last year twenty and eleven, including a twelve and six mark in the American Athletic Conference. By the way, the Pirates should have swept Tulane last year. They were really screwed. Um, in New Orleans with some bogus charge calls. But either way, uh, the, he's built a program, and, yeah, he's brought in transfers. And But you look at this team, Case, and we, we've done several of these previews now. ECU is a pretty stable roster coming back. FAU, a pretty stable roster coming back. Rice, somewhat stable as well. Uh, Tulane, I would say, you know, not kind of a balance, but definitely from the standpoint of, they're returning three big pieces, Kevin Cross, Jalen Forbes, who's just a scoring machine, and also Sion James, who's just a beast of a uh, wing, you know, averages uh, close to 10 and five a game. He's been there a while. Those three guys, I think, have been there going on three, four years now, so you've got continuity there. And any time you have kind of like three to four guys to build around and you're adding some pieces, I know they lost Jalen Cook, which we can get into, uh, big loss there, but – you're having three guys to build around. I always like teams like that, that have had guys for a couple years now. They've had success. They know what it takes. So you know what you're going to get there as long as they stay healthy. And then it's just about finding maybe another piece or two, really. And, and I think they can compete for this conference championship. I really do. What? Yeah, 100%. And also, when I was going through this, I was looking at their numbers, and their assist numbers are ridiculous. Kevin, listen to this. Kevin Cross averaged 14.8 points a game. 6.7 rebounds, 4.2 assists, and then Jalen Forbes averaged 18 points a game, two rebounds, and five assists a game. And Sion James averaged right near 10 points a game, five rebounds, and three assists. I mean, those are crazy assist numbers as, as a team in my, college basketball, in my opinion. Those are very, very high. And it shows that this team proves this team proves and shows that they can move the ball and they play together. Um, and then basically their only they had two big losses. Jalen Cook was huge. He's going back to he's going back to LSU, which is, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I, I'm not very high on that program right now. I think you know, anytime. Well, first off, the college basketball is, is dumb because you got a guy who literally transferred from LSU to Tulane, and now he's going back to LSU because I assume he's getting paid a ton of money. Is the reason he's doing that? So again, I'm not going to blame the student athlete for this, but. Uh, as you wrote, uh, uh, Tulane's a better program. They're a better team. They probably have a better shot at making the NCAA tournament right now, especially if Jalen Cook is there instead of at LSU. Um, so I got to imagine that Coach Hunter, Jalen Forbes, I'm sure they're happy he's getting paid, but at the same time pretty pissed off that he's leaving. Really a great situation, I think. And, and there were times last year he was inconsistent. He, he, he takes a ton of shots. Him and Jalen Forbes just take so many shots. Um, if they have an off game, which is rare, they they do soak up a ton of missed shots and opportunities for the rest of the team. But 
I just feel like if you if you could add Forbes or if you could add Cook to Forbes and Cross and James coming back again, I think this team would be definitely one of the top three teams in the league. Maybe they still are, but I think they would even be up there in the same discussion as Memphis, as FAU. Right now, I think they're a peg below them because of Cook's departure. And you, you brought up the, you know, their transfer class, really not that impressive coming in. Um but again, you've got guys who, you know, even, even Cooks and, uh, you know, Cross and Forbes, there were a time where they were transferring into Tulane, not scoring as much. And Ron Hunter has a tendency to get the most out of these guys. So maybe some of these guys on paper aren't the strongest, but I do think they have upside. So, I, I, you know, I, I just like Ron Hunter. I like Tulane. Their biggest issue, Casey, is defense, man. They give up so many points. Until they get more consistent on that side of the ball with his matchup zone, that's the biggest area they've got to improve in. Yeah, I agree 100%. This this team will put up 80 on you in a second, but they'll also give up 75. So, I mean, that that is another major point for this team, same as it was last year. But, I mean, I think Tulane knows what they have in Cross, Forbes, and James. But I think that finding, that, finding those 20 points a game lost in Cook is going to be a challenge for them early. But I definitely think they can figure it out 100%. And uh, Jordan Wood, who's a Howard transfer, right at nine points a game, he's a really good stretch four, can play three, possibly possibly, possibly five. He's going to be a huge part for this team because he can stretch the four, he can shoot it well. He'll be huge. And also, I just think Cross, Fours, and James are going to be – I mean, all of all of them will average more than 12, 12 points a game. I, I expect Jalen Forbes to average right at, right at eight, 18 to 20 again. So, I mean, this this team should finish in the, in the top five of the American. They definitely have the roster to do it. And just like we said earlier, uh, Hunter is progressing every single year. He was 12-6 and six last year in the American, 2011 third. So I expect them to be better or right at it again. Tulane's ability to retain Willie Fritz and Ron Hunter, I think, have been huge for their programs. We'll see how much longer they can continue to do that if Ron Hunter wins. At a high level again this year. All right, let's move on to SMU, where they are coached by Rob Lanier, former Tennessee assistant, just like Mike Schwartz. So you got a good relationship there. These two teams split last season. Pirates just edge SMU at home, and then they played like uh, one of their worst games of the season at SMU. Of course, that was, I think, the same trip they had like a short turnaround after uh, already playing Tulsa. I can't remember the exact setup, but it wasn't a great trip scenario. I think they had to stay on the road for that two-game road swing. Either way, was not a good year for SMU record-wise, 10-22, and 5-13 and 13 in conference. But I want to say their net finished ahead of ECU or at least close to it because of their tough non-conference schedule, which you hit on here. But uh, it, was a, it was not a good year for SMU. They had high expectations. They fired Tim Jankovic because they expect to be in the NCAA tournament. Last year, they were about as far away as you can get, uh, given the amount of resources. I mean, they're paying their players thirty plus thousand dollars a pop, uh, not to go ten and twenty-two. So I would expect Casein that, and I haven't really dove into what you um, what you wrote here about the incoming transfer class, but I would assume they added some pretty decent pieces uh, and returned some decent players. They didn't add nothing, in my opinion. They didn't add nothing out outstanding but they did right. add some good role players but they did uh they did return zurich phelps who averaged right at 18 points a game who was outstanding and 
Many thought he would have stayed in the draft this past year, but he did he did withdraw right at the deadline. So him returning is huge for this team. And also, first year – also, as you've touched on, for a first-year head coach with the non-conference schedule that they had was absolutely brutal. They had – they they played at Dayton. They played versus New Mexico, versus Louisiana. They played Texas A&M. They played Arizona State. They played TCU, Iona, and Utah State. I mean – to start your season off with a gauntlet like that for a first-year head coach is always, always going to be tough. And I think that this team never really bounced back from from that. I mean, it is very, very tough to go through that and not be able to bounce back. And But I think this team will 100% be better because they because they definitely have the pieces. And they didn't, they didn't lose too much. They did lose Zach Nadal, who's around 13 points a game. And besides that, they didn't lose any major pieces. And But one thing that is interesting about this team, they have no incoming freshmen in this class, which is very, very rare for college basketball nowadays. So all transfers and all returning players, which is uh, interesting. So they add – you mentioned Phelps. Uh, they do return uh, Williamson, who is a former Louisville transfer. Jalen Smith had his moments last year for SMU, but really not a ton of proven production here. Effie, uh, DJ, moving on, it looks like, who was a near-double-double guy, um, you know, 11-7 and seven per game. Uh, so, you know, they add some pieces. B.J. Edwards from, from Tennessee – 14 games played, not a not a ton of scoring there, but has some ability, former big recruit. Uh, Tyreek Smith from Oklahoma State. Jaheim Hudson and Chuck Harris have pretty good numbers. They both average around 10 points a game. So some solid ads, Kaysen, but no, like, you know, star player, it looks like, from the portal. So I guess the key here is, you know Phelps is going to lead the way. The guy is a machine as far as getting to the paint, getting to the line from the uh, the guard position. Williamson, strong rebounder, strong uh, player in the paint. If you could get him to take a next step and then maybe get solid play from some of these transfers, maybe that's your recipe for success. Yes, 100%. And I think that last year I was – me personally, it's going to sound a little weird, but I was very, very disappointed in Samuel in Samuel Williamson because, I mean, he was, he was a high recruit coming in. I was very high on him at Louisville because he fit that system well, in my opinion. And he never panned out there and transferred to SMU. And, I mean, he he had his opportunities last year, and he did not play very well. And I think that if he even scratches his surface or his ceiling here at SMU, they will they will be way, way better just because of that. And I think that him and Phelps are going to be the one-two punch for this team, and I think they're a re- really solid one-two punch. And also Chuck Harris, the Butler transfer, he is he is a he's a solid player. He can, he can definitely score at will. I remember watching him at uh, – Butler, but I mean, but I mean, then, then again, uh, you know, I think, you know, what you have with this team coming and looking at this roster right now, it's just a matter of how can this team step up from last year? And also another thing I want to look at that I touched on is, can we give this team a weaker non-conference to, to, to the start? Can we, can we get some me at schools in there? Can we not play boom, 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 boom every single weekend? So, I mean, I think the start of this season will be crucial for them, crucial crucial for their confidence. And I think that we should know what this team is right in the middle of non-conference, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you got to find that balance with the schedule. And we'll talk at some point about ECU schedule, which I think to this point looking like a little you know weaker than, than strong. 
based on some of the names we've heard. But, you know, the, you have some solid games on paper. So you want to give your chance a self or yourself a chance at an at-large bid if you have the season you're capable of having. The good news is if you're a good team and you have that schedule SMU has, you, you can get an at-large bid. But if you're trying to build a program and you have that schedule, you can get beat up and lose confidence real fast, which I think is what happened last year. So, uh, again, 1-11 and 11 on the road, I think, is what you had written down. So that's an area they've got to improve too. And uh, they, they weren't the youngest team in the world last year, so it's not like they didn't have some experience. So we'll see what happens. SMU, really intriguing team going into year two. I do think they'll be a lot better. All right, there's your American Athletic Conference opponent previews as well. And that'll basically do it for our showcase in another solid edition of the Hoisted Colors podcast. Looking forward to what Pettiford uh, will bring to the table this year. We also talked Sierra Malonga. If you missed any of it live, we will have this archived, of course, on YouTube. We'll have it archived on the podcast as well. Uh, we've now done six players. We've chronicled Bobby Pettiford, Caleb LeCount, Ezra Asar, Benjamin Baela, and Sierra Malonga. I believe I named six there. If I didn't, I left somebody out. But either way, uh, next week we're going to do R.J. Felton, who I think is uh, poised for another big year. And we will also do a uh, another freshman in Takori Faison. So how about that? We'll go uh, R.J. Felton and Takori Faison, two guys I think we're both very high on in this program. And we'll get into maybe who we do next in the American off the air. But, Cason, this was fun. We're another week closer to uh, to some sports happening once again. Yes, sir. We are counting down, counting down the days. College basketball, I cannot wait. Ronald Jones says, great job. Thanks for listening, Ronald. Thanks for uh, tuning in. And I'm sure as we get closer to the season, we'll get more and more interaction. But this has been funny. The way I'm learning a lot, Kaysen is educating me on what to expect from the American this season. So that excites me, and I hope you guys are as well. All right, we'll be back uh, later this week, most likely for a uh, football positional preview. And then me and Kaysen will be back probably sometime next week. Also be on the lookout for a baseball podcast. We're going to take a look at next year. Uh, we're going to be rejoined by Jonathan Wagner, Scott Lorbacher after the draft at some point in the coming weeks to kind of preview next year's baseball roster. All right, so we've got a lot coming your way. Also, hoistedcolors.net, the latest info as well on ECU Athletics. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you next time on the Hoisted Colors podcast.